Um, it's very, um, it's actually a very, uh, much of a privilege actually to be up here. Um, and to be honest, I am quite nervous because uh, it's my first time preaching. But um, um, I thank I thank God for um, um, just an opportunity to share His word with His people. Um, so um, this morning um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter seven. Um, we'll be looking from verse thirty-six to um, chapter eight, verse three. So um, Luke chapter seven, from verse thirty-six onwards. And it reads, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet feet with her hair with her tears and wiped them with her with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment now when the pharisee saw this he when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner and jesus answering said to him Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which one of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled a larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I have entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the at table with him began to, began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who, have, who had, had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them, out of their means. Just the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I'll come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, I do pray, Lord God, that um, I thank you for your word, first and foremost. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, that um, you speak to all of us, including myself, with this passage. 
Lord, please show us what true, what, what forgiveness looks like, Lord God, and show us what, how we ought to respond to forgiveness, Lord God. How we ought to respond to your grace, how we ought to respond to your mercy. Open our eyes and may we see, Lord God. Lord God, I pray that in this room, all our hearts will um, be hearts of good soil, Lord God, that we may receive your word readily, Lord God. Break up the final ground that we may hear our word, including myself, Lord God. So, Lord God, please give us ears to hear that we may hear, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to walk in the empowerment of your forgiveness, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, yeah, as the passage kind of um, lends itself, um, this pas- um, what I'm going to talk to all of you about today is about forgiveness, about how we ought to respond to forgiveness. And what we have, um, and before I start, I'd just like to say, like, um, when we look at God's creation, first and foremost, we often see, um, well, I often see, I'm not sure about the rest of you, but I often see a, I see, like, the world kind of in a binary sense, like, I see contrasts all around me. So, for example, we have light and dark, we have left and right, up and down, um, we have um, male and female, contrary to um, you know, society's beliefs, we have um, morning and evening, we have, um, again, left and right, uh, we have so many binaries, we have so many contrasts with each other, and when we come into God's word, we see contrasts as well, again, we have you know, good and evil, we have right and wrong, we have heaven and hell, we have, um, we have, we have those who are saved and those who are sinners, and in this passage, and actually within the Gospel of Luke, we actually have a contrast of the self-righteous and those who know that they're sinners, but are humble enough to come to Christ and will come to the Lord and to ask for forgiveness. And in this very passage, we see a self-righteous Pharisee who doesn't see things he doesn't see things as we would like to see them he doesn't see forgiveness as something to be dished out freely to all and we see a repentant woman who knows her sin knows her need of forgiveness and comes humbly before Jesus to show her gratitude for his forgiveness so at the start of the passage, um, the one of the Pharisees um, asks Jesus to dine with him. Now, dining in the first in the first century was a very intimate thing. It was a very it was it was it was basically a call to to friendship. And it's a bit ironic when I was reading this because just before this passage and earlier on in Luke, you see the Pharisees often just you know being hostile to the ministry of Jesus. They don't really like how he approaches sinners. They don't like how he's a friend of sinners. They actually accuse him of being a friend of sinners because he eats, he eats and dines with them. You see that in Luke chapter 5, verse 30, where Jesus actually even rebukes them, saying that those who are well have no need of a doctor. But he came to save um, those who know that they're unwell. And... The irony here is that the Pharisees are asking Jesus to dine with him. And one of the things about the Pharisees is that they stood aloof to 
those who were sinners, those who were tax collectors, they saw it as a taboo, not just on a religious level, but also on a social level. See, the social structures were very in place back in that time. Um, just to be seen eating with, if you're seen eating with somebody who was a sinner, you're one of them. You're seen as one of them because you're friends with them, you're one with them. And so the Pharisee asking him to eat with him, it's a bit funny to be honest, but possibly maybe he's, um, he wants to be seen right in the eyes of the people because the Pharisees, they were lovers of the approval of the public. They wanted the approval of people because they stood in the council called the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin, they had like the major decisions to say with regards to the cases that people bring in front of them. Um, the people, you know, sat under them because also they stood, they sat in the seat of Moses and he taught the law of Moses and the people respected them. They gave them high, they gave the Pharisees a high regard. So maybe to see, be seen in the eyes of the people as, you know, favorable because Jesus' ministry at this point in time is really spreading across, is really becoming favorable, is really spreading throughout all of Judea. By this time, actually, by this point, Jesus has already healed the sick. He has forgiven people. He has made um, a paralyzed man mobile. He's um, sat with sinners. He's um, sat with tax collectors. He's um, proclaiming forgiveness of sins. So he, the word of him is going spreading across Judea. And earlier on in chapter 7, we see that Jesus is being regarded as a prophet. So, you know, word of him... It's quickly spreading and people want to know who this Jesus is. They want to, you know, come to him. They want to hear him. They want to be healed by him. They want to bring their loved ones and to, to be healed by him as well. And I feel like this Pharisee wants to get, you know, just a taste of that. Maybe be in that spotlight. Or probably he wants to question him. Because oftentimes the Pharisees question Jesus. They, they wanted to corner him. They wanted to put him in a corner. They want to give him a question where he can't answer them and say, see, he's a, he's, a, he's a phony anyway. He's not really a prophet. So you don't really need to mind about him. And just follow us. Just you know, listen to what we have to say. And you don't have to really listen to this Jesus because he's just one of the other ones who claim to be the Messiah, but he's not really the Messiah. But they can't really get him. So he asked him to eat with him. And maybe I can take the benefit of the doubt and maybe he actually wants to know about Jesus. Um, that's not too hard to believe. In, in the um, Gospel of John, you see Nicodemus coming to Jesus in chapter 3 and saying, um, and asking him about, um, 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 and Jesus telling him what, what it means to be born again. And you know, later on, I believe that, Jesus, um, that Nicodemus eventually believed. We don't know for sure, but I believe he eventually believed just seeing the trajectory of his um, of of um, his interaction with Jesus, but that's just something to you know think about and and to and and, and to know about the Pharisees in, in in brief. But you know the Pharisee asks Jesus to dine with him anyways, regardless of his motive. And Jesus goes into the Pharisee's house, so Jesus accepts this invitation. Now remember, I said that you know the invitation to. Dying with somebody is seen as a call of friendship, a call of intimacy. And Jesus, even though that the Pharisees were hostile to Jesus' ministry, Jesus doesn't knock this off. He still comes in. He still says, I'll come with you. 
and you recline that table and you know I can't just skip over recline that table because it's actually quite important in light of the rest of the passage because we don't recline that table um, or dependent of what at least in the western culture we don't recline that table but in the in um, in the first in in ancient Israel and even some cultures today recline that table is not like how we sit down and eat you know and, and just chopping everything but recline that table is more like you're on a low cushion, the table's quite low, um, and you're sitting like this and your feet are out. Well, you're not sitting, sorry. You're leaning forward like this and your feet are out and, 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 and your arm is like this and you're picking food from the table and it's more of a communal thing. So Jesus' feet are out and, and bear in mind there's others as well in the room. Um, it's not just the Pharisee and Jesus. And, and, and they're talking and, and you know, they're communing together and, and discussing whatever they're discussing. And so, that's the scenery that is, is important for us to kind of have a look at, just to see how things are set. And, also, and I would assume that Jesus' disciples were also with them in the room, maybe not. And so, all of this is happening, Jesus is eating with them, talking, maybe discussing points of the law. And then we, we see a woman, it says in verse 37, that behold a woman of the city who was a sinner. And she learned that Jesus was reclining that table at the Pharisee's house. And so, as I mentioned, Jesus already in this point of his ministry, a lot has happened. And this is only earlier on in Luke. We got still the rest of Luke to go through, and there's so much more Jesus has done in, and, and done in the rest of his ministry. But he's done a lot so far. That word of him is spreading so far. And this woman of the city, so she's known in the city. It's not just she's from the city, yes, but she's also known, and she's known for her sin. Not just she's just a famous woman. She's famous because of her sin. And she hears about Jesus. Word of Jesus comes to her ear. And this woman sees, we don't know her sin, we don't know her particulars. Some people will come in and when they're, you know, looking at this passage that she probably was a prostitute or probably was in sexual morality, but the text doesn't say. Now, I could understand why they may say that because when they say woman of the city, because they might be thinking woman of the night and all of that stuff, but and fair enough for them to, you know, think of that, but you don't have to jump to that conclusion. The fact is, we know that she's a sinner. That's all we need to know. We don't need to know her particulars. We don't need to know exactly what she has done. We, we just know she's a sinner, and she's heard about the grace of Jesus Christ. She's heard about the ministry of Jesus Christ. She's heard about this man who's traveled through Galilee, who's traveled through parts of Judea, and she needs, to, she needs to come across him. She needs to meet him. And she wants to come to this Jesus. She wants to know this Jesus. She wants to see this Jesus. In fact, word of him is enough for her because she's heard of him already. And, and you know, this word of grace, word of forgiveness, word of um, who Jesus is, is attractive to the sinner, is attractive to us. When we first heard about Jesus, some of, some, or some of us at least, when we first heard about him, we might have, you know, scoffed it, but when our hearts were softened and we first heard about him and we knew about our sin, 
he was so attractive to us. He, he, we, we were so drawn to him, we couldn't say no. Maybe we might have resisted a little bit because there might be that little battle bit, um, with our flesh and, and the spirit trying to draw us to Jesus, but eventually the spirit won. And so she heard of him. She heard that he was reclining that table at the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster, um, alabaster flask of ointment. And I'll talk about the alabaster flask of ointment a bit later because uh, um, I think that's an important fact, and factor in later on. But she brings that in. So ointment, or in other words, a perfume. She brings that in. And standing behind his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet. And she anointed them with ointment. Now, before just going through the rest of that verse, um, this woman by this time, when, when she's hearing about Jesus now, again, we don't know her background. We don't know too much about him. She's unnamed. Again, some people might even think that she's Mary Magdalene um, because of the other passage else in scripture. Um, it's not Mary Magdalene, just to make that very clear. Um, this is actually a quite different um, situation happening. So the stories with Mary Magdalene, you see in the other gospels, um, at, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, just before he actually went to, um, to the cross. So it was like pre preparation for his burial. And the interactions there was just mainly with his disciples and those Jesus was around throughout the most, most of his ministry. But this is a bit much earlier on in this ministry in comparison to that. So it's not Mary Magdalene at this point. But what we do know that she, again, she's a sinner, but just trying to see things from a perspective is one of the things that I tried to do when I was reading this passage is just seeing, just imagining her just being burdened by her sin. Just having known, knowing what she has done knowing that she's broken the law of God, knowing that she's not right with her creator, knowing that people know about her sin, knowing that people are standing away from her, are casting her out because of her sin, regardless of what her sin is, she is seen as a sinner, she's seen as other, she's seen as, she's not seen for who she is, she's not loved, probably her loved ones are not loving her, and she's carrying this burden and, and and, and this weight of sin is a, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's just weighing her down and she, she knows it inside so she does her day-to-day -day living just bearing her sin, thinking about sin, knowing that she can't really interact with certain people or not even certain people, with just most people because they see her in a certain way, they see her in a certain light, they see her with a certain lens because they don't know grace and she doesn't, she, 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 she doesn't know what grace feels like to, to receive it because she's never been shown it and she's carrying that burden and she's carrying that weight of her sin in her and, and she learned that Jesus was here that, she was, that he was near and she runs and gets the alabaster flask of ointment this finally in, in, in the times of despair that she might be feeling that, that she might not have any hope of being reconciled with her creator she has a bit of hope, a glimmer of hope that she hears about Jesus. She, she knows that Jesus forgives sin. So she has a glimmer of hope. She has hope presented towards her. And even though 
people may not see it that way. She, 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 she has that hope in her. And so just trying, uh, actually just try and imagine just actually even being that woman because, you know, most of us here, I, 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 I assume that are, are believers, I assume mo most of us here are believers, you know, have known the weight of sin, have known carrying the burden of sin just before, you, you know, you met Christ, before you encountered Christ. Or even during your time as a Christian, bearing the weight of sin, sometimes bearing the weight of guilt and, you know, not immediately running to Christ. Just think of that. Just or remember, go think about back at the time where you're carrying that burden of sin, that shame and that guilt. The doubts that you're having that if God can ever forgive me, whether God will ever you know, love me, whether he will take me in. And it's weighing down on you. I certainly, I, I've certainly felt that um, many a times I, I've... Um, Known the way of my own sin, carried that burden, and 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 needing to know, can I be forgiven? Am I really forgiven? And so, just imagine yourself as that woman for a moment, and then learning that Jesus has come there, that he's in local, he's local. And he's at this Pharisee's house, which you, um, you, you know where, where that is, you know where to go, you know you can find him, sit, reclining that table there, not sitting there, reclining that table there and eating. And oftentimes, I know, like, you know, even in that, you might even feel that you can't probably go to him because he's a well-known well man, he's a prophet, he's, you know, the Messiah, you believe he's the Messiah. And you feel like, oh, he's eating, he's with a Pharisee, he's talking, he's talking shop, he's, he's talking and putting stuff, I can't go to him, I, I can't do it now, I, 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 I probably have to wait when he starts going now and the crowd starts following him, I might get through and I might be able to maybe toss the helmet of his garment, I might just get, catch a whiff of him, I, maybe I, just, I should just wait. The burden is too great. The burden is too great for her to just, just you know, um, um, to, to, just for to hold back, just for her to to not go to Jesus, it's it's, it's too great. She she can't bear it any longer. The fact he's here, why wow, why should I miss this opportunity? This Pharisee house, I forget about forget about forget about the the formalities of, of all of this. Let me go and see him. Let me go get this alabaster flask of ointment that I've been saving for such a long time for a special occasion. Forget that special occasion. This is the special occasion. Let me go see him now because my burden is too great. I can't bear it any longer. And I must see him now. And she goes to the house and she stands behind his feet and she begins to weep. I can't even just say weep just like that. Like she's just you know shedding one tear or two. No, she's weeping profusely. She's unloading that burden. See, that burden is coming at the feet of Jesus, literally. We always say, let's lay your burdens down at the feet of Jesus. He's doing that almost literally. She's, all, her, all her burdens, all her sin, all her shame, all her guilt, all that outcast from society that was feeling, all of that love that she was not feeling at all, that is all at the feet of Jesus. She's laying it down in her tears. It's at his feet. She's wetting his feet. It's like there's a puddle on, the, on his feet, on that cushion where he's reclining that table, that, that cushion's wet now. <laughs> it's probably uncomfortable, but I know our Lord doesn't mind. 
She's bearing that. She, she's, she's weeping profusely. She wears, wears feet with her tears. She wiped them and then she wiped them with the hair of her head. <laughs> We're probably thinking, wow, why with the hair of your head? I was thinking that. I was like, why could you just use your garment? Because their clothes was kind of like draped close or draped close is like, you know, like very loose clothing. So she could just use this and, you know, just, you know, just be wiping his feet. And she can just wipe it dry and just, you know, just like, oh, sorry, Lord. Um, sorry, sorry for doing that. Well, she wipes you with the hair of her head. And I, I don't, I ask you, to be honest, I don't really know. You might, you might think, oh, I haven't done enough prep. But I don't really know why she used the hair of her head, but I can have a get. I, I do have a guess. And, 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 and it could be a symbol, it could be a symbol of um, her laying down her crown at his feet. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, um, Paul calls, um, um, recount, um, says that, um, you know, for the woman, that her hair is her glory. Now, and, and, the, and I, I, that's seen um, as a, cult, as, as, I believe that's seen, that's also seen as a cultural thing. Her hair is her glory. And so it's, it's like, it's, it's an act of worship. It's, it's, it's an act of, it's an act of repentance. It's an act of worship that she's, Laying down her crown at his feet, wiping her, wiping his feet with her hair, and 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 saying that Lord, that Jesus, you are my Lord. You have come, and I'm laying it all down here at your feet, literally. And she kissed his feet. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't, uh, kissing feet is a whole nother thing. But again, it's a, again, an act of worship. It's an act of, Lord, your, it, it actually reminds me of Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 52, where um, it says, how beautiful are the feet of whom, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and who proclaim salvation and who says, your God reigns. Whether that's going through our mind or not, I don't know, but it reminds me of that because his feet are beautiful though. It's not that he's traveling, not just because he's traveling from, um, traveling from, a, from Galilee and coming to where the city is and um, and, and he's proclaiming good news. Yes, there's that. But his feet is coming from a much further place. It's coming from a, a place that we, we cannot visit now. But if we trust in Jesus, we will visit there. Like, that's where Jesus is coming from. That's where he's walking from. And it's, this feet, it's these feet that are precious, that are beautiful to her. And she anoints them with ointment. She, she gives it, she gives the fear of Jesus an anointing. She should anoint her head, she should, anoint, she should actually be anointing his head, but she just anoints his feet. Maybe it might be a bit of shyness to not, you know, intrude on the fact that he's eating and, you know, those that also the rest that are at the table, the Pharisees who are obviously going to judge her, none of that. 
she probably might just keep at the feet for now. Or she just wants to, again, bless the feet that is bringing good news to her. So that's the woman. The woman has seen Jesus. She's heard of him. She's come to him. She's there physically with him. And she's poured out her, she's poured out her love and her appreciation for his forgiveness, for the forgiveness she's received to him. And she's worshipped him. And during this world's time, the Pharisee's just looking at the whole situation like, he, he's just kind of like, he's got a stank face going on. He just doesn't appreciate what's just happened. It's like, he was thinking to himself, thinking, geez, like, if you were a prophet, you know what kind of woman this is. He was speaking, he was muttering to himself or other, or thinking in his mind, or, you know, speaking with, you know, his, some of his colleagues or his friends, and they're, they're saying, you see this woman, she's standing right on your feet. Do you, do, do you know? Do you know? Do you know who and what sort of woman this is? Do you know who she is? Like, I thought you were a prophet. Like, people were talking about how you're healing people and, and all this stuff, and you know, you're a prophet. And you might have disagreed with some of the people you might have been hanging with, but you're a prophet anyway, so we won't question you. But now I'm questioning you now, man. Like, how is he, are you allowing her to touch you? Forget about the um, 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 weeping on your feet. Why are you letting her touch you? That's how we see. Like, that's how we see in the situation. He, he just, he, and, 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 and how, that's how he sees Jesus. He's like, you're allowing, you're letting her touch you. Like, you're here. She's here. No, no, even here's too high. She's there. Why are you with her? Why she's here? Why is she in my house? Who let her in? She's a sinner. How? How can you? How could you let her touch you, man? Come on. He doesn't see things as as he should see them. He doesn't see, not just he doesn't see things as he should see them, he doesn't see her as he should see her, he doesn't see Jesus as he should see Jesus. And to be honest, and, and, and you know, this, this is actually a point of application, and because oftentimes we, anytime we, we look at the Pharisees, to be honest, like we, we look at the Pharisees and we look at, you know, how they're hypocrites, self righteous, and you know, Oh, sometimes we might accuse people of being a Pharisee and saying, oh, you're being self-righteous, being a Pharisee. And obviously this is another case. We're like, yeah, those Pharisees, they don't get it. They don't know grace. But how oftentimes do, uh, uh, oftentimes do we actually look at ourselves and actually realize sometimes we could be like that? That we actually could be that Pharisee? The pastor says he said to himself, now it could mean that he was thinking to himself or muttering it under his breath or something. But the, the fact is, this was the posture of his heart. This is how he was seeing things. This is how he was looking at the woman. He says, who and what sort of woman? Like, I say, saying who, like, who this is who is this woman like that's one thing but saying what sort of woman 
It's like she's a thing. And honestly, again, how often how do we actually view people like that? How do we see people in that light? How do we see people who walk into this very chapel and how do we think about them? How, how do you view them? Are you seeing them as Christ would see them, as we will see in a, in a moment? Or are you seeing them through the eyes of, the, of this Pharisee? And it could be small things like, you know, you might not like the way they you know, look or may, you might not like their culture, you might not like the way they speak or might not like their personality, they might be quirky. They, you might, they might smell actually, they might actually smell like B.O. But the thing is, how do you see them? How do you treat them? Are they somebody who should just be out there in the foyer and, and just stand over there? Or are they somebody who you, you draw them in, you draw them into the fold? They might not be a believer, but the fact is, if they come into this building, they're coming to see Christ. Even if that not, might not even be their own intention, as long as they're, they're here with us, we show them Christ. But it doesn't have to be within these four walls because you know, you know, we're here to be equipped and then go out. How do we view people in general? Do we gossip about them? Do we, and I was even thinking this week, like sometimes gossip doesn't, like, oh, well, gossip starts from the heart. It starts about how you think about people and the, you know, the external, you know, how that looks like is that you can't wait to tell somebody else about how bad a situation that such and such a person is involved, is involved in. And, and we, we, we just, we need to correct how we see others. We need to know how we should look at other people. I know for myself, I, I know for myself that I at times, I see people in a self-righteous way. I'm not gonna lie, I'll just be honest. I'll just say it here, you know. Um, if I'm giving light, I might as well, you know, let the light also come at me as well. I sometimes view, I sometimes I might not view people in the, in the light that I ought to view them. I, I just, you know, kind of excuse myself a little bit. I might just push myself away. I might not really speak to them. I might not respond to their messages as I ought to. Or I might not do enthusiasm. I might, I might be saving face. Sometimes we have this sense of pseudo-righteousness where we might just, you know, you know, be here, you know, this, you know, so front of graciousness towards somebody but not actually be gracious from our heart. It's just to show to everyone that, oh, he's a gracious brother, he's a gracious, she's a gracious sister. And we don't actually love them. It's, it's, it's a thing where you have to actually examine your own heart. How do I see this person? How do I view them? They've come in, okay, they're different. Okay, they might not get things right. They might be, um, they, they, they might see things differently than we do. Okay, cool, fine. Love them. Bring them in. Be compassionate. Let's say if this woman walked in. Let, okay, let's even give a, 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 um, a um, you know, one of the views that some people have. Let's say if this, if this woman actually was a prostitute, um, as people say, as people um, will, um, um, you know, think she might be. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that she is. It doesn't have to be that. But... Let's say she is and she walks into this room right here. How are you going to view her? Now, obviously, there'll be, I'll understand, you know, some of the guys might, you know, you know, want to guard their hearts as far as their own lust issues. But it's your issue. She is not the, it's not, she's not the problem itself. 
And how are you going to view? How are you going to interact with her? How are you? Are you saying that? Oh no no no! You sit over there. Or stand stand there. Or you know stand there. Sit over there. Or you know, you might sit with them, but you might be you know a little bit more formal. You might be straightened back and you know kind of towards the wall if you're sitting near the wall on the side of the wall. You might you know give extra space on your seat where you can fill in the gap. How are we gonna? How do we view people? How and then and, and, and are we judging them? Are we, you know, casting condemnation upon them? Maybe it might not be condemnation, but are we sending them out and not really bringing them in? Who and what sort of woman this is is touching him? For she is a sinner. That's how he sees things. That's how he shouldn't see things. Let's, uh, so, so that's something we should think about and, and examine ourselves about and, and, and take that to the Lord and be, and be repentant about that, how we see others. Again, like I said, there's certain occasions where there is caution, there is discernment, of course, I understand that, and we should take that proper discernment, but still, Ultimately, how do you see? Do you see their humanity? Do you see them made in the image of God, or do you see them as a thing, or as, or do you see them for their sin? And so Jesus comes in into this action actually. So Jesus sees what has happened. He knows what the woman has done. He knows that the woman has, you know, where she. Of course, he feels it. He knows it. In fact, he feels more because he knows that this is more than just wetting off the feet, but it is something spiritual, and I'll get to that in a moment. But before he deals with her, he deals with the Pharisee, he deals with, deals with him saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. He's got to correct him, he's got re- to rebuke him. And to me, it actually, when the way Jesus deals with him, actually, he's actually a bit softer than how he deals with the rest of the Pharisees, actually. Because oftentimes the Pharisees are, are dealt with a bit harshness because they're being hostile to him and, and making all these accusations towards him. But Jesus, you know, he's still rebuking him, still being firm, but he's in, he's in his house, he's being, he's taking, he's taking it down a notch. He's just saying on a level like, I have something to say to you, just hear me out. I've got an illustration. And so Jesus right here, he's dealing with the problem of forgiveness. The Pharisees got a problem. He's got a problem with the woman, he's got a problem with Jesus, he's got a problem with everything that's going on in his own house. I don't like what I'm seeing. And Simon, I have something to say to you then. If you've got a problem. If you've got a problem with that, hear me out. And Simon's like, okay, say it, say it, teacher. A certain certain money lender has two debtors. One owes 500 denarii and another owes 50 denarii. And when they couldn't pay, the money lender forgives the debt of them both. Now, which one will love him more? Simple, this is very simple. This, you know, answer it, which one will love him more? And Simon says, okay, the one I suppose who, whose debt was larger? I mean, what, what are you trying to say? It's not a riddle, it's not hard. This is, 
Like anyone can, anyone can see that. Like I have to lodge it. There's the one who has to lodge it. This. Let's say someone. Let's say in our contemporary terms, someone owns 500k, and someone, somebody else owns 500. Who will love him more? Obviously, the one who owns 500k. Now, 500 is a lot, but still, 500k is three times as much. So, it's a little bit of arrogance here the from, from, from Simon. It's like, what? This is. What were you telling me? But Jesus still says, You have answered rightly. And this is, this, that was the picture of forgiveness. And, and he's. And, and he's given them an illustration, he's given them a parable. Now he's letting that parable come into actuation. He actually says, okay, let me show you what this parable is, looks like right in front of you. He said, he turns towards the woman. So by this time, Jesus hasn't, well, he's noticed the woman, but he hasn't you know, turned to her. He turns to the woman. And then he says, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Do you actually see her? Not how you just saw her. Do you actually see her? Jesus is paying attention to the woman's humanity. She's paying attention. He notices the grace of God in her life. He's noticing the, 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 the fact that the Lord's at work in her. And he's saying, do you see this woman? Do you see... An act of redemption happened right in your very in, in your very house, right in front of you. Do you see this act of redemption? Do you see her? Do you see her repentance? Do you see it? Do you actually see it? You're talking about all. You're talking about all the law. You're talking about all this theology. You're talking about all this. All, all of these doctrines. And fine, fair enough. You guys have memorized the law like the back of your hand, but you don't even see the fulfillment of the law happening like happening in part in front of you. Do you, you don't see what this is all pointing to. You don't see it. And you don't see it happening in her. Do you see her? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. You didn't even do the bare minimum. You didn't even do the customary act, the, tra the traditional act of giving me water for my feet. You didn't do it. But she has wet my feet with her own tears. You didn't do anything for my feet. You didn't do anything for me. You didn't do anything. You didn't do any of the customs that you were supposed to do. But, the wom but this woman hasn't just put water on my feet, but she wet my feet with her own tears. She's done, even, she's done one better than what you've done. Here's a con and, and this is where Jesus is giving a contrast here. He's giving a contrast between what the Pharisee has just didn't do, and what the woman did do, and more, in fact, you know, more than what she was supposed to do. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You had no water for my feet, you had no towel for my feet, but this woman has done it with her own tears, with her own hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but from the time I came in, she, from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. So that, uh, and kiss, you know, again, we don't do this in our culture, at least. You know, some other cultures they still do this today, but you know, it's a welcome. It's, it's a warm welcome. It's a warm gesture to you know kiss someone on the cheek or something like that. You know, it's a warm gesture. He didn't. He didn't do that. 
So did we, did, in fact, did even the Pharisee even show any hospitality at all except giving him food? Except having him in his house and having him recline at table with him? He did, anoint my, he did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. He was supposed to anoint Jesus' head with oil, but she, he just didn't do it. He didn't do the bare minimum. He didn't show hospitality where he was supposed to show hospitality. This common hospitality, he didn't show it at all. But she showed hospitality, actually. It's not her house, not her food. But she done it on a spiritual level. She welcomed Jesus into her heart. And I know sometimes we don't like the phrase welcome Jesus into your heart because we find good, but let's take it for what it is. You either want to welcome him or not. I prefer welcoming him in. So she welcomed Jesus into her heart. She took him in. She showed him proper hospitality. The Pharisee didn't. He took Jesus for granted. And this is actually, to be honest, this is actually quite a serious thing because on a, on a, on a, uh, as a warning actually because it's very possible for us to take Jesus' presence for granted. You're sitting with the Messiah, God, God, God himself in the flesh. You're sitting with him, eating with him. And you, you didn't really welcome him in. You didn't really welcome him in. Actually, just turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Um, Luke chapter 13. And to be honest, this is more of a serious tone than, um, than this passage. But I think it's very necessary. Um, chapter 13, verse 24 onwards. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able when, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And you answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Now hear this, verse 26. And then you begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But then he will say, I tell you, I don't know you. Where you are from, depart from you. You workers of iniquity. Now that is sobering. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. That is very sobering. And I won't. I don't want to take any harshness away from that because it's Jesus saying that the same Jesus who's gracious, is compassionate. It's the same Jesus who is going to tell the truth as it is. But he, him saying this is actually a loving thing for him to say because he's letting us know that you're, you're sitting with me. You, I taught in your streets and you, you might have done ministries. You might have, you know, sat, with, sat and ate with me and all of that stuff. And, and, and in our modern times, like, we might do ministry. We might go places. You might do evangelism. You might be here in this pulpit. You might be doing all kinds of service. And you might be here in this room every single Sunday, week in, week out, maybe morning and evening, Tuesday um, and Thursday or Thursday and Friday um, if, you're, um, if, you're, um, if you go to a woman's study. And you might be here for everything but not be intimate with Jesus. You can still take his presence for granted. You can do... 
an outward show, an external show. Again, the pseudo-righteousness. You're taking the box. You're saying, I've done this. I've done my devotion this morning. I've gone to church. I've, you know, prayed. I've done all these things. I've checked the boxes. I, I've been before the Lord. I've been before the Lord in prayer this morning. I bowed my knees and prayed and, you know, said some, you know, theologically accurate things in my prayer. You can do all of that but not know Jesus because it's not coming from the heart. You're just saving faith. You're just doing it because you have to do it. You're not doing it from the heart. So please, let's not take Jesus' own presence for granted. When we sing songs, let's sing it from the heart. If you feel like you can't sing it from the heart, ask him, pray to him, say, Lord, I can't sing this from my heart. Lord, help me to pray. Help me to sing this from my heart. Help me to worship you. Because right now, maybe I'm not worshiping you as I, sh as I should be, as I ought to be. My heart's not, my heart's not really there. Be honest. He, he's not going to cast you away for, for your honesty. He's going to help you. He, his spirit is there to help you. No, you're 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 being sincere about you. Just tell him, come to him. You can. So that's the picture of forgiveness. And we have the the power of forgiveness. It's the final point, actually. No, second final point. Sorry. <laughs> um, Therefore I tell you her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But he was forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He who loves little, he, he, he who is forgiven little loves little. See, the Pharisee doesn't know his own sin. He, doesn't really, he might know his sin in, in part, you know. He might know, oh, I'm, oh, I'm a sinner. Yes, of course, everyone's a sinner. No, but he doesn't really know his sin. He doesn't know that he's sinned against a holy God, that he's, you know, at odds with God. He doesn't know, but the woman knows it. She knows her sins. She knows the depth of her sins. She knows the burden that she's carried. She knows that she really needs to get right with her creator. She knows that. And she knows that, Je she knows Jesus' forgiveness. She knows it. She knows it. She knows it well. She knows that she's been forgiven much. So what does that lead her to do? What does that empower her to do? If she knows how much she's been forgiven, what's that going to lead her to do? To love much. She's going to love Jesus. She's going to pour out everything to Jesus. She's going to give him her best. And the whole thing about the alabaster flask, actually, this brief... Um, description of it. Alabaster is a, it's a, it's a precious stone, actually. It's, it's quite rare these days now. Um, but it was found in the Middle East in, 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 in ancient times. And it's, it's like a white, like more soft stone. Now, I can't describe it, um, but it, it's, it's a precious stone. It's quite it's expensive in those times. And oftentimes it's used to carry you know, perfume and ointment and that's what you know, she put into the flask. She put in ointment or perfume in that flask. And typically the flask is you know, sealed at the top with some wax so that you know, the, the, um, in the, the smell of the perfume is retained and it's, it stays in. And you know, at the proper time it's broken and it's poured out to whomever has been anointed at that special occasion. Again, that perfume would have been expensive. 
The point is, the flask was expensive, the perfume was expensive, that's safe for an opportune time and a special occasion. And she uses it in this moment. The, the, the point is, is that she's given Jesus her best. She's given him her best. He's safe, something that she should say for somebody, or maybe, maybe a loved one whose who, who's, who's funeral is coming up soon. That can wait, that can have something else. Jesus is better. Jesus is more necessary to, to give him all my to give him all my devotion, to give him my best. Now that's what she's doing. She's loving him much. She's pouring out everything that she is um, to Jesus. And that's how we should respond to forgiveness. It's a response of love, of a life of the life, a life of love and devotion towards our Lord. And a, a life of love and a life of love towards our neighbor as well. Because, you know, that's how Jesus views her. Jesus loves this woman. He cares for this woman. He's compassionate towards this woman. And it also leads us to a life of mission as well. A life of mission. We, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then later on, he says in verse 50, your faith has saved you, now go in peace. So she comes to Jesus, she, and Jesus welcomes her in, and she's also welcomed Jesus into her heart as well. And now Jesus sends her in peace. Now she's, not being, now she's no longer being sent out as an outcast, but she's being sent out in peace, in love and forgiveness. Nobody can tell her anything. Because Jesus has forgiven her. No one can say anything to her. No one can say, oh yeah, you're the, you're the sinful woman now, stay away from me. And okay, she still might be an outcast, but she knows she's been forgiven. She knows her Savior. She knows the one who has saved her. And, this, and I, I, don't, I really want to plead out here to, to all of us, actually believers, unbelievers, please, know that this it's the same thing that can happen for you. Like, when you come to Jesus, he will not cast you out. We read earlier on in um, Isaiah chapter 1, he says, come now, let us reason together. God says come so many times in scripture. And that's actually one of the sweetest commandments that you can actually hear from God. It says, come, come to me, come. I will not cast you away, come. He says, come, anyone who first, come, and I'll give you water, I'll give you water to drink. Come to this fount and drink freely. It says, in fact, one of the last words of revelation of the Bible, of our scriptures, is, it says it a couple of times. Come, the, um, the, um, the spirit and the bride say, come. Everyone who hears say, come. The, in last, the last point in scripture is an invitation. Come to this gospel. Come to Jesus because he will not cast you away. No matter what you have done. We don't know what this woman has done. Thank God we don't know what she's done. We don't need to know what she's done because the fact is, anyone, any of your, like regardless of the sins, regardless of what you have committed, you can come to Jesus. Regardless of what you, what you think, regardless of how you treat people, regardless of what you view, regardless of what you watch, regardless of uh, uh, how, how, how you act, regardless of your past, regardless of what, you, what you've done this past week, regardless of anything, God has known it, he's seen it, he asks you to come. He doesn't say, oh, go away, stay away from me. He's not like the Pharisee where he says, who and what sort of person is coming to me? No, he's not like that Pharisee. He's different from that Pharisee. He says, come to me. 
Self-righteousness is like smoke in God's nostrils. He hates it. People who say, stay away from me because I'm too holy for you. The ones who say that I am holier than thou. He doesn't, he, he hates it. He's in, he, 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 like, he, it makes him indignant. He hates it. It annoys him. That's not him. He says, come to me. If you, if, if you feel like you're too far gone, please hear. Not even my sound of, the sound of my voice. Hear scripture. Scripture says, come. God says, come. When you have doubts, when everything is, you feel like you can't, you just cannot come to God. This last point in scripture says, come. Twice. It says, come twice in Revelation chapter 22. And then, and then, and, and finally, when you do come, you'll be able to say with others, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Because you'll be able to say that because you have come to Jesus and he's gone to heaven, but you want him to come back because you know the Savior and you want him near to you. Amen. So you come and now he sent he sent he sent her on peace. And this this is the final point, to be honest. She sent her on peace, but where does she go? Don't really know per se, but you know, I have a good guess from passage <laughs> um, chapter, Luke, um, Luke chapter 8 from verse 1 to 3 soon afterwards he went he Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him and also some woman who have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities Mary called Magdalene who, from whom seven demons had gone out Joanna the wife of Chusa Herod's, house, Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. I'm going to, not even assume, I'm going to presume that the woman's actually amongst them. Because the thing is, Luke doesn't just throw this in out of nowhere, because if you read the following, the, um, the rest of chapter 8, you know, after this point, he's told it's the parable of the sower. So this has no relation to that. So I believe this is really part of the passage, um, you know, the passage that we just read, um, and I think Luke is trying to um, illustrate at some point because Luke does this in his gospel and he does this in Acts, where he highlights the role of woman in, um, um well, let me rephrase that. He actually, yeah, he highlights the role of woman when they've encountered Jesus. And when, so when they've encountered Jesus, they live a life of ministry, a life of mission and ministry. They are empowered contrary to the society standards. They are empowered to love Jesus. They're empowered to support the ministry of the church. And that's what Luke is doing here. He's showing that Jesus leads them to that life of ministry, to that life of mission. So I'm, I'm just telling to the woman here, be encouraged that your gifts can be used. You've encountered Jesus. If, you've, if you're a woman, you've encountered Jesus. Your gifts can be used. And you should use them. Please use them to the glory of God and for the benefit of his people. Because they, they supported them out of their own means. They, fund, they you know, you know, helped fund the ministry of Jesus. And I also say to the men in the, also the, men in the room who are married, please lead your wives to use their gifts as well for the glory of Christ, please. Follow the example of Jesus. I will say, I, I, I have this little saying that, uh, that I have, a good leader always seeks to bring out the best out of those whom they lead. 
So if you're, again, a husband, please lead your wives to, to use their gifts. Always bring out the best out of them, please. Don't suppress it. Obviously, stay, obviously within, stay within confines of, you know, scripture and all of that. Obviously, you know, do it biblically and all of that stuff, but don't suppress their gifts, please. Because Jesus doesn't. He empowers women. And he empowers us all. So, to conclude, I just want to give one application. I just want to say that like, when we go home today, when we are alone with our families or just alone in devotion, please just think about the gospel. Believe or non-believe, think about the gospel, think about the good news, think about your own sin and think about who God is and, and how your sin relates to him. And consider, ask yourself the question, forgiven much? It's a question. Forgiven much? And it's more like a rhetorical question. And it should, it should be a yes. I have been forgiven much. But you need to realise that, recognise that. Because when you recognise how, just look at the cross, recognise that if you're doubting, just recognise, ask the question, forgiven much? I guess yes. Of course yes. Okay, what does, what does, what does that imply now? Repent, repentance, worship, gratefulness, thankfulness, all of that. Give him praise, give him glory, live that life of, of love. I need to do that. I need this as well. I need to reckon how, how much have I been forgiven? I know I've been, I just don't count my sins, but I'll just be like, have I been forgiven? Yes. How much? I don't know how much, to be honest, because if I was to try to quantify that, it would be a bit much for me. I'd probably break down. So please, um, just think, forgive him much? Amen.